And we beheld his glory. Studies in John's Gospel. This is part 24. Here's the title. A dark night, strong winds, overpowering waves, and an absent Jesus. The text is John chapter 6, 14 to 21. Hope you have a Bible. Always bring your Bible to church. That's what we do in this place. This is not a club. We study the scriptures. And so bring a, bring a Bible. When the people saw the sign that he had done, that's the feeding of the 5,000, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus, I love this, walking on the sea. Like, what's he doing? And coming near the boat, they are frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The miracle of Jesus walking on the sea is covered by John with much less detail than any of the other synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't give it a whole lot of space. And as I was putting this series together, thinking about the Gospel of John, I was kind of torn how much time to give it, because the incident itself is covered by John in just six verses, the whole thing. Mark indicates this account of Jesus walking on the water is, is bigger than the event itself. I want to show you that. What I mean is, the account gives evidence to something bigger than John covers in his six verses. So I want you to consider with me just for a minute what Mark says about Jesus walking on the water and the disciples' response. Because there's one sentence that kind of opens the lid for the study that we're going to be doing this morning. So this is Mark 6, 49 to 52. So they're out there in the sea, same situation, same storm, waves, they're afraid. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So nothing new there. He got into the boat with them. Nothing new there. The wind ceased, that's different. And they were utterly astounded. Now look, 52. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. John says nothing about that. Nothing at all. So, what do those words mean? They did not understand about the loaves, 52. Their hearts were hardened, 52. 
In, in what sense is this account of Jesus walking on the water, in what sense is it related to the feeding of the 5,000 with the loaves? Because that's what Mark says. They didn't understand about the loaves. That's why they were afraid in the boat. That question is what made me kind of take the incident, albeit briefly recorded by John, and, and I want to study it today. We, we know for sure, we know for sure that we're not just imagining things when we link this up with the feeding of the 5,000 because the text says there's a link. Jesus says there's a link. So let's turn our thoughts to that today. One. When you don't sense Christ's presence, continue to do what he says. There's no way to live in this world without going through dark times, sometimes prolonged seasons, where everything you claim about Jesus, what you claim to believe about Jesus, what you sing about Jesus, is put to the test. Sometimes our hymns and choruses, I'm not picking on anybody, but sometimes our worship to music in the church can give you the impression that the, the tempo of the music, the key of the music, the instrumentation, it can give you the impression that, I guess I should move this, shouldn't I? It can give you the impression that, well, boy, Everything is, everything is up and glowing and great just all the time. And if you're sitting back in row 38 and you're just not feeling it, the way the person in front of you who's got their hands raised and they're swaying back and forth and they're clapping and, they're, and you just think, what in the world's the matter with me? Now, no one will admit it, but I'll bet you anything that you've all had that experience at one time or another. We don't get to always live our spiritual lives on exactly the same level. Look at this account. When they need Jesus most, he's not there. He was with them on the land. He was with them when there was no boat in the water, no storm, no threat from the sea or the waves. They were just with him as he fed 5,000 men. And you know what? The people were singing his praises. The text says they all wanted to make him king. And I'll tell you what, if Jesus is getting all the praise and glory, the disciples, they were there handing out the bread, and the people are pretty impressed with the disciples too. It's a great moment. Oh, he was there with them. It was all happening. It was wonderful. It was just, it was good to be there. It was miraculous. Powerful. Now, well, now it was different. Life doesn't always stay the same for any of us, and storms don't usually come at convenient times. Now it was darkness. The, the sure-footedness of dry land was replaced by waves. You know how it is, even in a jet, when you hit bad turbulence. You, I, I start repenting of things I haven't even done. And they're, they're being rocked all over the place. 
the dry land was threatened by the waves that threatened to drown their hopes and dreams. Their future seemed doomed, and Jesus wasn't there. Part of growing in Jesus is recognizing that no one feels the same spiritually all the time. And that's not the same as backsliding. There's no disobedience to the Lord. Is that you? Like, has your life gone from sunny to dark and nobody warned you? So what do you do when there's nothing but storm and waves and darkness? What do you do when Jesus isn't in the boat or even on the horizon yet? That's where the lesson of this text, I think, is really useful. When Jesus finally comes to them, here's the significant point. When Jesus finally comes walking on the waves, you know what they're doing? They're doing exactly what Jesus commanded them to do. They're still in the boat. He told them to go. They're still rowing. Why? Well, that's the last last thing we got from Jesus was, here's what we're supposed to be doing, so we'll just keep doing it. Mark gives us an important detail that John leaves out. It's in 645. Immediately, this is how they started this trip. John doesn't tell us this. Immediately, he, this is Jesus, he, see that verb? He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So they're where they are because that's what Jesus said to do. Just go. Get in the boat. Row. Okay. And there they go. Getting into the boat, heading out to Bethsaida. It's Capernaum. It wasn't the disciples' plan. It wasn't their idea. It was... Jesus command to them. They were, they were pressing out at night. Maybe they wouldn't normally do that because that's what Jesus told them to do. And when Jesus finally came to them in their night of darkness and wind and toil, when Jesus finally comes after his prolonged absence, they're still doing the same thing. They're just plodding along against the gale in the darkness, no apparent divine help whatsoever. So here's a life lesson. You want to write something down? Here's a life lesson. Don't let what you don't sense of divine present presence, don't let that drown out what you know you should still be doing. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. We sang that. But you know what we're supposed to be all about. Obey the instruction of Jesus when doing so doesn't seem to bring any immediate good. It's the opposite of word faith theology. Keep obeying even when it's the obeying that seems to be making life difficult. That's the point. It was the obedience of the disciples that was placing them out there with the storm. Not their disobedience. It was doing what Jesus said. If I only obey Jesus when he crowns my circumstances with sunlight and blessing, it won't be long before I'm going to get very confused at best or maybe even bitter and filled with doubt at worst when the storm comes. The next point takes this a little further, point number two. 
The purpose of times of blessing and joy is to strengthen and train us for seasons of storm and darkness. That's why God blesses our lives at times, unusually blesses our lives. This is where the opening supplementary text from Mark is, is so profound. I hope you can see it. It's in 649 to 52. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. They cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Got into the boat, the wind ceased, they were astounded. For, for, they did not, they did not uh, understand. I want to talk to you about that. They did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Those last words are hard to figure out. What, what didn't the disciples understand about the loaves and the feeding? What did this have to do with Jesus coming to them on the waves? Let's think about those questions. What have the disciples not understood about the multiplied loaves? I mean, certainly, I'm, I bet you anything, if you sat down and asked them if they remembered Jesus had fed the 5,000, all of them would have remembered it. This is not a memory issue. Certainly they knew that this miracle had been performed because they were involved handing out the bread, remember, and collecting the 12 baskets. They saw 5,000 men fed and 12 baskets of leftover bread collected. So the disciples weren't unimpressed. They were very impressed. They marveled at the power of Jesus, that's for sure. So the miracle did not go unnoticed. So what didn't they understand about the loaves? 52, Mark 6. What didn't they understand? And why was this a problem in the storm on the Sea of Galilee? This is the heart of the issue. And, and right at this point, we find application to our own walk with Jesus. You can, you can see Jesus' work without learning from his work. It's easy to be thankful for God's goodness without being trained in understanding about God's goodness. Those aren't the same thing. Look at the whole situation in our text. They're dreadfully afraid of the waves. The storm has turned a sea into an enemy. And maybe now we get it. The one thing they are more afraid of than anything is the water and the waves, right? And that's why Jesus coming, walking on the water, it's not a stunt. The thing that has them consumed with fear, Jesus, Jesus comes walking. Can you just picture their faces? Jesus, in the middle of the night, maybe lightning, and then they, they can see there's, there's on the horizon, there it is. Jesus comes walking on top of the water. What do you think he's trying to show them? And he says, and they didn't understand about they didn't understand about the loaves. What didn't they understand? Well, what they didn't understand was five loaves, two fish, 
5,000 men and a whole bunch of women. We're not even told how many. And Jesus performs the miracle. Now they're out, and they see Jesus walking on the waves. They're terrified. This happens when we give more attention to the immediate effect. Hear me. When we give more attention to the immediate effect of God's work in our lives, more attention to that than what the work says about the one doing that work on our behalf. It happens when our hearts are more captured and held by the blessing from Jesus than understanding the ways of Jesus himself. The disciples have been more impressed by the multiplied bread than they had considered what the bread taught about Jesus as God's revealed sovereign son. It's easy to marvel. It's easy to eat and enjoy. It doesn't take a big heart to celebrate and praise for those things. It's another thing to think. Blindness of understanding, hardness of heart is what Mark says. They result from receiving blessing from God without applying the lessons of that grace when you have to wait for a miracle next time. The storm is where the heart gets tested. Ours, too. The storm is where the heart gets tested. The storm shows what I have learned what I have remembered about my Lord from times of more obvious blessing, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, whether I sense it at this moment or not. He's the same Jesus in the dark as in those joyful moments of feeding the crowd. He's just as trustworthy when you sense him as when you don't. That's the textual link with the feeding of the 5,000. So in other words, when God sends any evidence of his power and blessing and grace into Don Horban's life, the reason he does it isn't just to heap blessings on me in that moment. He does it in order that my faith will be fed by thinking, pondering God's goodness when my faith is being tried and God doesn't seem to be present at all. Did, I, did that make sense to you? This is the textual link. If all we receive from the Lord is multiplied bread for our every hunger, whatever the need is, we will never deepen in faith. We'll certainly enjoy blessings but we won't deepen in faith. Faith is only grown when it's exercised. Faith is only developed by changing challenges. But to survive those trials, we need the lessons recalled of those times when God manifested his power so visibly as feeding the 5,000 with the five loaves and two fish. Now, before we leave this, I want to give you a scriptural example of the principle I'm talking about. Here's the principle again. Times of storm, darkness, doubt, trial, suffering, whatever. There we are. Nothing pleasant. God doesn't seem to be working. Okay? We prayed. 
And the situation is still the same so far. I'm supposed to look back. Remember when God did this? Remember when God did that? Remember when God fed the 5,000? Remember when he, they didn't understand about the loaves and the fishes? Look back on times of great blessing, tremendous nearness of the Spirit of God, a warmth in the soul of the goodness of God. Now here, it's not like that anymore. But I'm supposed to, when I'm here, I'm supposed to be thinking about that. He's the same. I'm not feeling it the same, but he's the same. He's the same. I want to give you now an example of that. I want to give you an example, a big example from the scriptures, that principle that I just outlined there. Romans 8, these are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. I call these verses, Romans 8, 31, 32, I call this the logic of redemption. This is the logic of redemption here. You all see, is that up on there? Okay, let's read it out loud all together. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What a text. What shall we say to, we've got to ex- examine it. What shall we say to these things? What, what things? What are the these things? Well, he tells us. You might not like some of them. These things are described in verses 35 and 36. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Here's the list of these things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. As it is written, for your sake, and this is a quote from the prophets, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So, these things, what shall we say to these things? We know what the things are. Tribulations, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Notice, these people didn't escape these things. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. So they weren't delivered, okay? Here they are, facing all these terrible things. How do you keep your faith? What do you think about? Look what they do. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So we're in the middle of nakedness, peril, sword, slaughtered like sheep, persecution. In that, what are we supposed to be thinking about? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. You see what they're looking at? Let's look at something great that God has done. Let's not, let's not, let's not just focus on the waves. Here's what God has done. How will he not? He's going to take care of all these things. Maybe on my terms, maybe on my schedule, probably not. But he's going to take care of all those things. How do you know? He gave his own son. He did it when I was his enemy. If he did that, he's not going to desert me here. 
It's, it's exactly the principle. They're in the boat, the waves, they're panicking. Jesus, you did, they didn't understand about the loaves. What are we to conclude about God and his goodness as these people suffer? How, how, how do we scrape up any tiny residue of faith in the middle of these things? How do we do it? Text makes the point obvious. He says, you have to say something. What, what are we going to say right there? You have to say, you have to have a response. These trying circumstances call for some kind of response. What are you going to say, Don? Well, he who did not spare his own son gave him up for me. How will he not graciously give me all things? He's still with me. When the storm comes, you need something else to look at for sure. It's not denial. I don't mean that. You go back to something you've experienced of God's miraculous grace. The text that we looked at in Mark, that's how your heart, that's how you keep your heart from getting hardened. Your pain, your darkness, your storm is only going to frustrate you and darken your whole outlook. If there's nothing there to feed your soul, you'll become discouraged. Set the gaze of your whole being somewhere else. There are loaves of bread in your past experience with Christ. Don't let the storm take your mind off of past grace. My own feeling is this is what praise is for. We sang it in the opening song. My own feeling is praise isn't something you just praise Jesus and your cancer's gone. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Say a few hallelujahs, boom, everything's great. My own, my own feeling about the power of praise is that it sets your gaze on some past blessing that God has put into your life. And it builds faith when it's awfully hard to scrape up faith in the middle of the mess that you find yourself in right now. It takes time. The reason Jesus delayed his coming to them in the storm, John makes it clear that they have been struggling with these dark wind and waves for four miles. Mark tells us they didn't see any sign of Jesus until the fourth watch of the night. That's between 3 and 6 a.m., that whole stretch of time. Was it wasted time? What's it for? Why did Jesus wait? Well, we usually need some time to realize our need, to realize our feebleness. Something that makes us learn more vividly about how great God is. Our first reaction when God doesn't show up, our first reaction usually isn't a good one. And the disciples, they just have to keep rowing for most of the night. They have to deal with the waves They have to deal with their own thoughts, their own fears for quite a while before Jesus comes. It takes time for spiritual maturing to develop. Time, time in the waves, it it reveals my own impatience. (laughs) 
reveals where I'm putting my trust. Our doubts, perhaps our desire to quit. But most of the time, if, we'll, if, if, if he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, there, Don, there, anchor, there, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There is, in the waves, in the storm, there's a firm foundation down there. Under all those waves, you're still in his loving, powerful hands.